Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Twin Cities by Night and our third story arc, Dread. Dread is set in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, Minneapolis, and St. Paul in the hot and humid summer of 2011. Join us again and continue to follow the journey of Katow, played by Quinn, and William, played by Slavic, as they continue to traverse the dark society held within the Twin Cities. They will be joined by three new kindred, Warren, a Tremere, played by Adam, Valentine, a Nosferatu, played by Alex, and Lenny, a Nosferatu, played by Andrew. The quarter will find themselves joined together by a sense of dread. If you would like to contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the first session of Twin Cities by Night Dread. All right, so where we left off is, well, we're probably going to start with... Katow first because Katow has a higher humanity currently than William. But as a little recap, where we left off was that Ophelia, the Toreador, was diablerized by Star, a recently embraced Melkavian, who Ophelia, the Toreador, kind of had at the beginning of a romantic relationship going on with when she was a mortal. And after Star diablerized Ophelia, she sent out a text message to Ophelia's quartery saying that she was scared because she just noticed that Roman Dunstern was outside scoping out her restaurant, which was also called Juno's, named after Ophelia's last name, and that she was afraid that something was about to happen because she felt that she was about to to, to fall asleep or to, to, to get knocked unconscious pretty much because the sun was coming up. She also, though, sent out an email message to someone that she had been corresponding with who she used the term V for their name, but their name was Valentine. And so right before Katow and William fell unconscious, they received a text message. And so we'll cover Katow first. Katow, before we even continue on with you waking up, describe what your haven is like. Like, how does your character escape the rays of the sun, you know, during the day, how do they prevent that? Like, I know he has this apartment. We became familiar with it in the first two arcs. And we know it's small. It's kind of on the dingier side of, of Minneapolis in the Northern section, but like, how do you protect yourself from the sun during the day? Well, I know he's definitely got like, one of the first things is make sure to get some, some heavy curtains over like uh, the windows. And also around also uh, he made sure to put that like a, like some blankets around the place, just in case like he needs to like just get into like his apartment and then he would just immediately crash on the couch. He just like just wrap himself up with it. But he mostly he tries to spend most of his time if he needs to in his apartment. When he goes like to his just stay in his bedroom, which is like pretty small, like almost like a small like not even like a probably like a wet uh, window, probably like the size of his head. It's really small, can't even open. So he just make sure like make sure to cut, make sure like tape that up, cover it up. Nice and neat, so that no, nothing could get in. So, and you also have your ghoul dog, your yeah. Irish Mastiff, who kind of like protects, I guess, the the, the kind of the area because of that supernatural connection that you have with it through the act of ghouling it. Mm-hmm. So, when you wake up the next or the next evening and your eyes snap open, 
what what's going on in your head at that moment with everything that that happened at the end of homecoming and with that text message like what what's your first reaction when you awaken my first thought is gotta make sure i'm gonna make sure my place is secure gotta make sure my place is secure gotta make sure my place is secure so he's gonna like immediately like you know just sort of like ask his dog do you you smell anyone out no not uh, not uh, normal around here when you open your bedroom door and come out of you know the bedroom where, where you stay at you're you're hit with this eerie sense of like your your mastiff is sitting on its hind end, sitting proper and straight, but is staring directly at you, almost like this. And and I would say it might even still occasionally, seeing that you're still kind of tied to your humanity with the humanity of five, and you're still kind of young in the blood. That where there's this odd moment where like you open the door, you look, and you just see that not only do you see you have a connection with him. But you see that this is fundamentally uh, an animal, while domesticated and while tied to you, is further down the path of the beast than you currently are. You know, this is a dog that has done something that in the canine realm is taboo, and it it ate human flesh. You know, even though it was dead human flesh, it's tasted human flesh. So not only was it corrupted by the vitae that you introduced into it, it's also been corrupted because it broke like that instinctual cardinal rule that is in all domesticated breeds of canines. So you see this there and it's almost, I would, I don't know how Katal would interpret it, but it's almost like the stark reminder because while others have dealt with mortal ghouls, you have more of a close relationship than you can think of like with, with the, the prince's mother and, and daughter or Jonathan and Carlisle or even William and his, his school, David. It's like you're reminded of every evening you open the door and you see it. You know, it's a constant reminder. When you communicate with them and, and you ask them, there, there's no response that, that, that it gives that, that there's any threat in the area. You know, like there's no, you, when you communicate with it, it's not like there's a communication of like, hey, dog, how's it going? And the dog's like, hey, master, you know, it's more like, you know by its by its body language mm-hmm. and by its mannerisms and by how it seems, you know? Because, like, when you talked to it in that last Dark Homecoming and it told you that smelled sex at, at the core of all the smells and fear that surrounded it, and you kind of put together that this group that had killed bugs was kind of may have been not fully committed as one member was and they're afraid of one member. And what that was through... You know, you saw nervousness in the dog and you saw apprehension like that because that's something that I had not witnessed, especially in your vicinity and your area there. As first, when I see the dog, I just open the door, it's like, <sighs> it just wears him down a little bit just because it's reminded that, yeah, he's not entirely just like everything himself and in his dog, too. There's something that's just not quite, you know, not, you know, not something primordial, something bestial, something sort of, you know, savage in there. It's like, just another reminder in his head that yeah, that's that's part of me now. It's gonna be for the rest of my existence thing. And so when he finds out that nothing's around, he's like he relaxes someone like, okay, so I'm not gonna get re- not gonna repeat of that night. Then he'll immediately next thing he'll try to do is that he'll try to I think try to contact Ophelia. So when you dial Ophelia's number, uh, it rings about seven times, and you get this voicemail message. And it's not a voice message left with her voice. It's a voice message left with the number 71555 is not answering. Please leave a voice message after the beep. And you hear the beep for you to leave a voice message. All right, Ophelia, I got you, got the texting. And quite frankly, that's I'm worried. 
if you need anything at all, contact us. We we need to stick together, and this pretty much well, the only ones to carry whether or not we, each other dies. So yeah, we just hang up awkwardly after that. And I would say even to add to like what we're talking about, you being reminded constantly by your mastiff there, seeing it like especially what you did the night before, you know, like pretty much destroying with with your with your own supernatural bestial claws that that the Christopher the Melkavian, you you probably even feel more of an affinity to that. And that's got to be like a fucked up feeling. I mean, just in real life, imagine if you knew that you're fucking damned, and you and you're starting to realize that. Yes, you can live forever, but the the longer you live, that gets this roller coaster that just keeps like you know, and what's going to happen when that roller coaster drops down? And that that's the scary part that they, I don't think any of you are aware of. So, uh, anything else you're going to do at the moment? At that point, moment, no. Probably just going to sit there and wait for a while just to see if anything happens. He's probably just like, okay, at least here, I this is my this is my this is my territory. I'm somewhat safe here. Oh, I like that the territory thing. Like you're like you're sitting there and you're guarding it. It's it's weird because it's almost like it, it is a, a like a sense of paranoia that's starting to creep through with Katow. Awesome stuff. All right, so William, to explain to us a little bit. You know, I kind of asked Katow. You know, like we we're aware of what your haven is. I mean, you can even talk about your haven a little bit more. Something that we never really delved into in the pr- two previous arcs. Kind of tell us about the, his haven and and like what he does to protect himself from from the the, the sun. Yeah, I think it's like a very modern style of, you know, it's basically an apartment building in an apartment building that's, you know, pretty fancy and everything. All the furniture is probably like newish, sort of, but also not used very often. Doesn't spend that much time in his haven. How he protects himself from his sunlight, I think he'd probably have like electronic blinds where he just probably has a remote or something. Just clicks it and you know shuts. The perks of being being a white collar criminal in a way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like that. And when when I was thinking about asking this question, I I didn't even really think of that would be a potential answer, but it, it seems so William. You know, it seems like. <laughs> Because you know, like he has that view of the of the Minnesota River, you know, where that like, he can look out this nice yeah. picture window and just hit the button and like it comes down, um, very very nice. I th- I think th- there would also be like a room that's completely dedicated to work, I suppose, where you know he'd have a computer, or whatever, libraries, books, you know, stuff like that. You know, one thing about you and the others. Is that you guys were all fundamentally embraced within the last 20, 25 years. So computers and technology aren't that outstretched of a of a of a concept. So you guys can still grasp upon that and utilize it, especially you with accounting and investing, you know, especially now, and we'll delve into that later, but with the deal you made with Hardy Ellsworth about, you know, kind of like mutually working together to kind of cause some financial harm against a couple of the Dunstern companies, you would need an area like that. You would need an area where you can kind of just lose yourself into the work and not be distracted. I'm sure it's an analytical, it's an analytical type job and you don't want to be distracted during that. So that's pretty good. So when that night, when what we described, what happened to Ophelia happened and you were starting to go into slumber, you know, when they say like when, when kindred, fall asleep is not like falling asleep is like they're out of their the consciousness yeah. cut off right but you have this odd moment where you're you know it's coming and, and i would say like maybe after a couple decades you can kind of tell you know when it about when it's going to happen 
and you're laying in your bed and you hear in the background that slight sound of just like very gentle ocean waves that are coming upon a shore and you you kind of hearing it and you're by yourself in the dark and you, and you feel this this paranoia that's creeping up on you and you're trying to like close your eyes and you're trying to like push it out but you find when you close your eyes is is that you're even closer to this ocean that you can hear and there comes a moment where your eyes are closed and you try to open them to escape the vision that that you're having behind your lids and and it's not snapping out of that vision and and you see this figure that's standing in this pure pure body of black water and there and the backdrop is this gray the sky and the horizon is gray but you can't see anything and you just see this body of water that continues to go on and you see this silhouette and you realize that the silhouette is of Ophelia but she's almost onyx in her shape like just like the water that that she is protruding from and for a second you're trying to like make out her distinct features and you almost like want to hear her voice and then you just see that slowly the figure starts like melting away and becoming part of this body of water until eventually it's nothing and at that very moment when you see the very last like part of the top of her head like that dissipates it's when you snap unconscious and the sun comes up you wake up what is going on in william's mind with the events that happened the text message and that vision that you had yeah uh William will probably be worried, you know. He's going to call Ophelia or write her a message at least. And I'm guessing she doesn't answer, so he'll probably go to to Juno's. That's her haven, right? Yep, yep, that's her haven, Juno's. You get out of your apartment and you you take the elevator down. But you put on like how how does we what how does William dress when he leaves like like what's like with with what's going on with William when he's stepping out into this late spring evening like like how is he dressed for the elements is he dressed like he normally does or is it like I uh, how cold is it I would say it's about seventy five eighty degrees at the moment you can tell that's gonna be a humid summer you can tell oh that's pretty warm actually so yeah uh, I think. He'd probably be, I guess, business casual, like have a blazer, or whatever, and I don't know, pants. <laughs> and like, yeah, 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 loafers. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's still my my. The reason I asked is because I wanted to see like if like the 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 dementation that hit him if it's affecting his you know what I mean outward behavior or if he's completely yeah, yeah, yeah. and keeping it internal. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, he's sort of trying to. Embrace it as part of him. I know? like that. Like, like incorporate because, into who he yeah, is. Yeah, because you know he was already trying to do that before, you know, and that's actually why he's you know going to Juno's right now because he had a very bad premonition. So, so you go down to the elevator. The elevator takes you down, and you're sitting there, and you hear like the slight sound of music as it goes down, and the, you hear the ding as the elevator opens up, and you're in this lobby of your apartment complex that you live in, and you see like that Turkish maroon rug with like the gold, like intricate design that lays out before there, and you see like these huge vases that have like these green leafy plants that are sticking out of it, and you kind of see like these 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 marble benches that are on the inside for people to sit on, even though no one ever sits on them, you know, and you slowly walk across this Turkish carpet, and then you get to where you're on this tile, and you can hear the clicking of your loafers 
on this tile. And as you get towards these double glass doors, this figure who's kind of wearing like a maroon suit jacket and dark slacks that kind of match the, the internal design will open the door as you walk out. And as you get out, you see that a valet is standing there and he's like, one, one minute, Mr. Strothers. And you see him, they have like this little walkie talkie that's at like this little standing, you know, where they can stand there and you see him call into it. And eventually you see your BMW come rolling up front and then you see the door open up from the driver's side door and you see a valet driver get out and they walk towards you and they kind of hand you your keys for you to drive. You start driving on the road towards Juno's, which is about a 10 to 15 minute drive. And like I said, you could sense that humidity that that was in the air, which usually means that it's going to be a pretty humid summer. And you can see as you look out of your of your front window of your car, you can kind of see where the clouds, rain clouds are kind of like covering the moon, which is kind of full at the time and making it harder to see the stars. Like where in winter, a lot of times there, you can see the crispness of the sky. And eventually you make it in front of Juno's and you see as you drive up and park onto the side, you see they have like these large picture windows that are there and you see that there's people that are eating within there. And it's kind of like nice, bright environment that's coming from within. And you get out of your car and you kind of make your way to the front and open the door. And as you open the door, you, you're welcomed by the, the rush of conversation. You know, like you hear conversation going on around you. You hear like very light, like Greek themed music that's kind of like playing over this PA. You see this grand piano that's kind of like sitting on this mini stage off to the right, which you never quite ever have ever seen anyone play in your last six months of knowing Juno. But it's kind of sits there like mahogany and, and really rich in color. And as you walk in there, you see Gina, the 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 Asian lady who base who way back what seems like ages ago when when you four were going there trying to find something on Paul Hughes, she was a junkie living in these horrible apartments in St. Paul. And you saw that Ophelia kind of extended this kindness to her and told her, "Hey, if you clean up your act, I'll get you a job so you can get your kids out of custody." And she sees you, and she knows at this point, Gina knows whenever either you or Jonathan or Katal walk in that, you know, you have to be kind of treated like VIP, but you got the sense too, though, that like the relationship between Gina and Ophelia wasn't like the relationship between you and David or, or Jonathan and his school, Carla or anything like that. It was more of a peer, you know, like an employee employer, not like an indentured, like I need to please you kind of job. So when Gina comes up to you, She's like, you see, she has this warm smile on her face. You know, she has like her, her very dark, you know, oil black hair is like in a ponytail and her skin, her Asian cream color skin that used to look jaundiced and yellow back when you guys saw her, when she was in the throes of a heroin addiction is healthy, you know, and, and, and her, and her body looks more like it has more fluid retention now. And you see that she walks with this pride of having a job and she goes up to you and she's like, Mr. Strother, hi. Uh, is there is there something I can assist you with? I wasn't expecting you tonight. Uh, yes, I am here to visit Ophelia. Is she here by any chance? Well, I ha- I haven't seen her for like the last couple nights, and um, she looks around. She's like, "Here, here, come over here to the bar so we can have some privacy, if you would." And she's like, "Would you like a drink, sir?" No, I'm fine, thank you. And she kind of like takes you to like a corner bar seat you know and she sit like stands on the corner of it you know and she offers the seat for you to sit but she's like ophelia gave me this this odd phone call a couple nights that kind of worried me and she told me that she was going to go do something and, and that she, she she it was very vague but she told me that that where the papers for the ownership of the bar 
and restaurant is at and said if anything was to happen to her that I was supposed to find her, but and I haven't heard from her since. And, and, and frankly, I don't know what to do at this moment. And I've knocked on her door upstairs and she hasn't answered. And I don't want to like break in or I don't want to call the police over something. But perhaps, perhaps then I will tell Mr. Bren about this and he will help us get inside. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Gina. May I call you Gina? Yes, yes, of course, yes. Uh, I'm very uh, afraid for for her safety and well-being, and as such, I do believe that uh, it would be wise to take a look into her home. But you please won't. do not call the police. I, I'm not sure. You know, Ophelia, she has a habit of sometimes disappearing for a while to just... You know. Yeah, she left. Like she did this. She did this. Um, she did this a couple, like six months ago, right when I first got hired with her. Um, so do do you want to go up there now? You said you wanted to call Mister Bren or Mister Chase. I suppose. I suppose I'll send them a message. Okay. I take out my phone. I message Katow and Chase. You know, Ophelia, not here. Blah blah blah. Taking a look at her haven. If you want to come, you know. You're invited, basically. And when you're in the middle of texting, she like pats your shoulder warmly. She's like, I have customers to take care of, but feel free to go up there if you need to, okay? And she kind of looks at you. Of course. And then when you say of course for a second, there's a moment where like your eyes connect with hers and you see like she is looking for comfort within you. And it's almost like that hits a wall. And and she's and she sees it and you see there's a second where she's like pleading like her eyes are open and wide and she's pleading for you to like to, to give her comfort and that but what what yeah what i was saying is too is that like she senses that you're different fundamentally now like where she seeks human comfort and she sees coldness coming back at her and that's that humanity of four and you see yeah. where she like snaps back into reality for a second and then she like loses herself into work which is going to make things interesting so yeah, yeah, I'm gonna need her willpower. Okay, her willpower is five. <laughs> I'm using Dementation One Incubus Passion on her, which basically allows me to increase or decrease a certain emotion someone is feeling. So, those of you uh, who are wondering why William has Dementation is because of when Kimberly used that Dementation on him and, and, and like basically walloped him for a year. In game terms, I, I this is way back when when that happened. I explained I treated it almost like how we treat Diablery, and the fact that he got hit so hard by that, and kind of had a minute tapping into the milk. I'm not calling it the Melkavian Madness Network, but in game terms, it's called the Melkavian Madness Network. That he had the potential to learn the first dot of dementation without having to be taught it. Now he can't learn two, three, four, anything like that. But it was just getting walloped so hard by that that it awoke something in him. And that's what we're trying to tap into with with William is the fact that all of this is him awakening internally to what he yeah. thinks is something, you know, greater. So you know, he this isn't something, you know, that he feels bad for or anything. But this is actually because he doesn't want her snooping around. Doesn't want her to bother him. All right. So, how many successes did you get? Two, which means it works for one hour. Okay. So you see, there's a second 
where like she's looking at you for comfort, then she snaps back in instinctual fear, and then you see her tense for a second, and then you see it just it melts away, and yeah. she, that's when she pats your shoulder gently and warmly and goes off to work again. You you're sitting there, you get the text message, Katow, from William. Okay, that's when I see that. It's like that's not good. I'm gonna have to come. I have to go. I have to check this out. He's gonna get into his whole crappy uh, car and just sort of like, you know, sputter his way over to a Juno's. So your car, you eventually roll into Juno's and you see. I take it you're wearing like. Did you spend a blood pool point by the way to heal your 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 wound, your permanent wound that you have? Uh, no, I think I'm just just letting General it. Lazy. Yeah, just letting it go this night. I want to ask you something about that too before we we jump into to the Juno scene here. Does that permanent wound? What's his view on it? You know, is it like something that keeps him grounded, or is it something that reminds him of weakness, or or does or is it just my overthinking it? And to him, it's just a wound that occurred when he got embraced. Or I think as, as when I first, when he first got it, it was just a sign that yeah, there's first he thought it was something wrong with him. Like you know, why can't I heal this? I am I not being a good vampire? What, what's what's up with this? Then he was realized, oh, it's just. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes things just stick that way. So it's just like, huh. Well, I guess if it's, it uh, sort of helps remind him that, yeah, I didn't really go into this willingly. I was sort of not really given a choice. And so it, it just, it's more, it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a reminder to him. So you walk in and you see the scene that I saw before. And you see a second where you catch eyes with, with Gina as you're walking by. And then you see William is sitting there on the edge of the bar. They're sitting in a chair. William, you see Katal come walking up. Seems on you guys. Hey, no, no news yet. Nothing's changed. Nothing at all. Uh, I suppose we sh- we should take a look upstairs. Yeah. Also, no. He didn't message me either. I uh, suppose we'll have to take a look into the Medusa next. Yeah. Well, this is very peculiar. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe he's off doing. Sm- I don't know what he does anymore. It's. Um, yes. Let's just go. Let's just. Yeah. Do we have keys to the? I don't think. Sort so. of. Oh no. 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 Okay. So I'm gonna have to break in. All right. Uh, as you guys head up there, you see Gina comes walking up as she sees both of you stand up, and she kind of like takes you. To follow her back behind, like like the where the bar is at. There's a door that goes behind the bar into like the kitchen area, and as you guys can kind of see, like there's and I think Katow, you saw this kitchen area before in the first arc when William was trying to talk to Star when she was immortal and try to find information about those those mansion type parties, and you were back there with Jonathan and Ophelia, and so this you get a sense of of, of like recognition. You remember it, William. This is the first time you've seen it. You see like a stainless steel center like table, and you see like pots and pans that are hanging from the top, and you kind of see like a couple of gas ovens, you know what I mean, and a large like freezer fridge type thing, and then. Next to the freezer fridge, what you didn't notice before is you see like there's like a pushing door, and as you see Gina pushing the door, and she motions up, and you see that there's some steps that go up, and then there's a door that is up there that looks like a normal door that kind of has like a lock, and then she's like, "I have to go back to work," and you notice like she seems very relaxed, but she's still not looking at or at William. She's looking more at you now, Katow. You know where she's like can kind of get more of a quote-unquote humanity feel from you. You know, she doesn't feel so uncomfortable. And then she turns around and walks back into the kitchen where there's a couple of cooks are still cooking and doing stuff in there. You guys walk up to the steps, about 15 steps. I get up there. So you said you want to try to pop the door open. Is that what you're going to try doing? Yeah. 
what's your strength currently right now? Two. Two, and you don't have potent. So I would say if you sp- spend like three blood pool points, I'll, you could pop it easily. Three. All right. And what's your blood pool currently at right now? Uh, cannot count it. Taking them one off for the waking up. That's one. Six. Six. And what's yours currently at, William? Three. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. This, I'll, oh, be jo- this. I'll be joining you that number if I do this. <laughs> <laughs> so you pop the door and you're, you see Katow stands there, William, and you just see him like take his shoulder. And are you wearing that leather jacket that you like to wear a lot because of your arms being all hairy now? Yeah. And everything? Yeah. You see like him kind of has his leather jacket on and you see like there's a second he looks down at you with like his bald, like shaved head, and he just pop, hits it while he's looking at you, William, and pops the his shoulder into the door, and you see, poof, and it's weird because you see like the frame, like that that the doors around just like creak a little bit, and then you see the door swings open slowly, and you look and you see that like basically the deadbolt just kind of like snap in the wood from doing it. As it creeps open, well, you walk in and you kind of see like there's this. Like the like the hardwood floors that are there on the top there. Like this was a loft that was rented out when another business was ran down below at one time. It could have been a restaurant that was down there. It could have been a bar, but this was a loft that has always been a loft up there, you know. And you see that there's these real heavy, 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 like kind of darker brown and velvet curtains that are over the windows to block out the windows, you know. And you see, like, there's this 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 old brown leather couch and a leather brown reclining chair and and you see it has like throw blankets that are over it it's a couple white throw blankets you know like like that are hand sewn together you know uh, crocheted together and you see like there's an old like violin case and an old cello and you see like there's like this nice stereo and you see that there's a collection of records within there and you see like there's some a stack of books that like she never got a bookshelf she just kind of would stack the books in the corner along there that she would read and you see like some desk and you see there's a laptop there and then you see like off in the corner far corner there's like a bed that she would lay at where like it was in this own like loft of a sort that didn't have any windows facing it and there's like kind of like some curtains like a canopy curtains that she had at one end of it you know to where she'd close them it would protect her from the rays of the sun and well, as soon as you open it you're like looking looking and you're sink- this is all sinking in and then you just see on the floor you see like this this ash that's that's on the floor and this and this dust and it's just like and it looks like it hasn't been scraped and it's just there laying there. It's not in the shape of anything, but not, but just not last night you saw something similar when Christopher's life was taken or when Kimberly was diablerized. And you see that now in this living room. So scenes on you guys. Is that what I think it is? I suppose we should take a look. This does not look good. Nope. What's going on in your head right now, Cal? Like with like Jonathan not answering, and then like seeing this at the moment. At this point, he's definitely starting to get worried. That okay, someone, if she's really dead, then what? What's stopping them from going after the rest of us? Is it just her? Is it all of us? It's or they're just like oh, that's what does this mean? Was this, she just had Roman Dunster. Is that you know, they stick making moves against us? He's just sort of getting going into panic mode, paranoia mode. William will try to find a container for her ashes. So you see William moving around and William, you're able to like, you're looking around and you're looking around and you see like this coffee can kind of thing where she has like these painting materials and stuff like that. You know, like she kept brushes and pens and colored pencils and stuff like that in there, but there's really no top to it. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
So I guess he'll try to very gently, you know, gather up all all the ashes and put them into a container and just probably get her an urn. Yeah, like what's going on in your head at this moment? Like while you're doing that, while you're literally like putting these ashes of someone that you're like, like in this coffee can, for lack of a better term, that you're just talking to and you're worried about and you had like this odd premonition about like, like what, what, what does that bring up in you, man? Like, partly he, you know, feels like leaving the ashes on the floor is just very disrespectful, as much as putting them into a coffee can is, you know, whatever, but it's still just, you know, it's almost like autopilot. It's not like he does it consciously to be good, but... So you're saying, like, he's... He he. I like that term autopilot. So you're just running off of like instinct at the moment. Like like obviously you can't get a all bit, the yeah. ashes in, but you can get yeah, like yeah. a good amount in. Yeah yeah. So you're just kind of like this is your way of like processing of what you just kind of seen and everything that's going on at the moment. Not this shit again. Oh, this is this is even worse than oh, something happening in this city again. One. I love 20 years, nothing, then. Uh, one year. Call, call Chase. We, he needs to know about this. Yeah. You know, I call Chase. So it goes straight to voicemail. And it's like, this is Chase. Leave a number. And, and then you hear, beep. Chase, Ophelia was dusted in her haven. We found her remains here. Uh, we hope you're all right. If, you know call us so we know we are fine so what are you guys gonna do from here i'll try to look around to see if i find any signs of like fourth century or like you know sign that someone broke in or sign from us i'll ask gina if she didn't see anyone enter i'm going to have you give me a perception and investigation difficulty six katow and then william we'll go ahead and handle your scene right now while you go down while he rolls out okay william you see katow start looking around you start heading down the stairs. You get down, walk through the kitchen. You hear like the frying. You hear the chatting between the two cooks. You walk like right past them, like beeline right past them. You even notice while you walk past them, like they kind of like one is sitting there and he looks at you and he's kind of like, you see for a second, like that awkward moment where you're like trying to go left, trying to go right because someone's like kind of nervous. You see him get like that way around you. But he like does that weird where like he puts his back almost towards and gives you like the total clear right away that you can. And as you walk by... You walk back in and you walk past the bar into the crowd. You see Gina right away. It's almost like as soon as you walk into the room again, you see Gina like look up for a second and you see like she's almost like supernaturally drawn to you. And it was because that connection that you tapped into her in that moment where you reached into her mind and her emotions and you fear it. And like, like when you connected to her, you almost like her fear that she felt realizing you weren't that close to humanity was almost palatable. You almost were able to taste that fear and almost were about to water it down. And so being able to do that with her, there's this odd connection at this moment. So she senses when you walk in the room and it's almost like she's drawn to you because that fear, not only were you the source of the fear, but you got rid of the fear. So she feels this weird pull towards you at the moment. So as soon as you walk back there, you see just in the days, she kind of just like walks towards you, but you see the closer she gets to you, like she's starting to like get a little bit more, I don't want to say panic, but like, like someone who's about to be, knows they're about to be told bad news, you know, 
and she's like as she's like walking to tell her if she's oh, I, 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 oh yeah yeah i know that but it's almost like you know it's a it's a fear right you know she knows yeah. you're going into this room to look at something and you're coming walking down everyone's ex- almost in a way expected to hear bad news whenever situation especially with the ominous phone call she gave and all that jazz not saying you don't have to tell her i'm not trying to say that i'm just saying like she's expecting to hear bad news at the moment you know so and she comes walking up to you and she she's like did you find anything Mm, nothing of importance. Have you seen anyone else enter her room, I suppose, or her apartment? I, I have not. No, I haven't. I mean, I, the last time I saw her was about two days ago, you know, like last night I closed up at the same time and I, and I, you know, went and picked up my kids from the babysitter and went home. Are there any cameras here that we could check? Not that I know of. There's no camp. We don't really have a security system in here. We really had no reason to have one, you know. Well, well, there's a reason now, I suppose. What? Did you think something happened? Mm-hmm. Well, we're not sure, and you know, this would sort of put our fears to rest if we sort of had footage, footage or anything. But you know, thank you for your help, and we'll see what we find out. I'll contact you, of course, if you found out anything. Uh, can you give me your phone number, please? Yes, 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 of course. And you see she, like, goes and she has, like, the little half apron thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. some way yeah. she pulls out this thing and writes a number and she kind of tears it off and gives it to you. Can I, can, may, may I have your number in case I have, find out anything and I can reach out to you? Yeah. Yeah, I'll send her a text message so she has it. All right. So, Katal, how many successes did you get? I got three. So, you're looking around, Katal. And you're like sitting there and you're, you're like f- trying to find, you don't find any forced entry. The only thing that you kind of like find that looks like just a little bit odd is the fact that you see, you don't really see any like footsteps at all in the ash. Like you don't see, you're like looking around the ash and you would think, I mean, you don't have that much experience, obviously killing vampires or you haven't seen that much, but you would think that you would see some kind of. I guess, what's the word I'm thinking of? I want to use grappling, but that's not the right word. But some kind of commotion that showed that there was struggle. And you really don't see anything like that there. Now, mind you, you're not any kind of like homicide detective PI, but you just find that's weird. You're like, there's got to be like a shoe print or something. You don't see anything. So it doesn't look like from here that there was like a huge brawl or scene or struggle or anything like that. So, All right. So... Whatever went down here wasn't. She didn't feel threatened by this. So then, who? But it's Roman. Doesn't make any sense. At that point, once he sees that there's nothing, nothing of that, nothing force entry. He's look around, seeing that clue. Just and we need it. We need to. We need to gather our. We need to get someplace. I don't know. Just go back downstairs and like. We need to talk to Chase about this. We need to. Go whatever, find out whatever's going on about this. Do you want to try either his house or the Medusa? Which do you think he'll be at? Uh, well, if I know Chase, it's probably going to be the Medusa. All right, let's go there. Yeah. Maybe his school will know more. I take it you're taking separate vehicles because you both have yeah, yeah. vehicles yeah. and everything? All right. So you guys are driving your vehicles to... It's about 20 minutes away because Medusa, the Medusa was along the for those you don't remember the missouri river there and kind of like northeastern saint paul and as you're driving up there and you eventually pull off 
into the kind of because he, he had like the gravel, the you know, very fine gr- gravel, small pebble kind of drive parking lot. And you notice that there's only one vehicle that's in the parking lot and it's not Chase's and you, you don't recognize the vehicle at all as you hear the tires crunch over or over this gravel and the pebbles and eventually as both your vehicles come to a stop. But you do see that like through the glass, you know, front door, because this is, you know, for you to remember Medusa was in the process of getting renovated or was renovated, but used to kind of just be like this tiki torch kind of bar type place. So it has like the, the, the a glass door that pushed open. And you can kind of see lights are within the glass door, but you can't really make out anything else. We're going to walk in. You go walking up. You f- you hear your, your shoes go over the gravel. Eventually, you get to cement. That's like a sidewalk that's in front of it. And you push open the door, and you hear the door squeak. And as you come in, you see the dance floor lights are on, but there's no music playing. And you see, like, just looks like someone went through and ransacked this place. You see, like, tables are flipped over. You see, like... You know how he kind of said there was like some mirrors or some like uh, like little glass thing or whatever floor thing where people college girls could dance stuff like that. Seats, the upholstery on seats are cut, look like it was just trashed. And you look to the right where the bar was at, and you see like where there used to be liquor bottles on the back of the bar. They're all strewn about and broke. And you see, well, both of you guys give me a perception alertness roll, difficulty six, if you would please. Two successes for me. Six. As you walk in, Katow. You know, because it wasn't that it was only just a couple of days ago that you actually walked in by yourself into this bar and you had that weird, weird, odd moment with Carla while she tried to like make moves on you, you know, and try to like come to some kind of you were actually even contemplating at the time, maybe making a deal with her like, hey, I'll war- I'll put in a good word with Jonathan to show you more affection if you kind of leak me some information on what he may be working on. And as you're walking towards there, you feel this ominous sense of of, of just like you're going to see something that is is going to be off putting. And as you walk closer to the bar, and each step brings you more forward, you're looking at the top of the bar. And as you get closer, you know you're eventually you're going to see behind the bar. As you get behind the bar, you see this figure that is Carla, and she's on her knees just wearing like this button-up plaid shirt. She has no pants on or no panties or anything like that, and she's just has this like brilo pad in her hand, and she's just like scrubbing her forehead, and she's just sobbing, and just like like someone who's like almost hyperventilating because they're crying so hard, and she's just sitting there just like rubbing this brilo pad on her forehead, and as you're looking, you can see like blood that's like trickling down from her skin being like having the steel wool just being embraced into there. And there comes a second when you're like sitting there and you're just like overtaken and you hear William come behind you. And you know from seeing how William is and this connection that you've had with William being a quartery that you can tell that he's probably hungry at the moment. And you have this quick- We're both hungry at this point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. He has six, right? I thought you had six. But okay, yeah, yeah. I have well, six, six and then yeah. I spent the wolf, sent the blood to break open the door. Oh, so you're at three now. You're both hungry. Yeah, we're both at three. Okay, well then both give me self-control roll, please. Difficulty four. Three, four <laughs> I have zero successes. Oh, God. Uh, can't spend willpower on this. Yeah, you can't spend a willpower on conscious rolls, but you can spend a willpower on self-control. Yeah. Definitely. All right, that's what I'm going to do that. Oh, I yeah, got five successes plus counting willpower. William, as you walk up, you see... Katow, like, like, stop for a second, and you're out of curiosity. You know, like, what's what was what are you looking at? And you kind of get close to him, and before you can even like look, you smell the copper smell 
and you hear the sobbing and the heavy breathing of something behind the bar. And it like brings this, like it, it starts stirring within you. And there's a moment where you're like looking over and like, you know what you're going to see. Like you're, it's almost, it goes from a sense of apprehension to like a sense of reward. Like when you look over here, you're going to see something that's yours. And as you like get closer and your eyes, like go over the wood of the bar and you see the scene that I described, you just feel like the beast come out from behind you. So now I'm going to give you two options, William. One is you can spend a willpower point and turn and, and run off, you know, have to leave the scene. Or yeah. two, you can let the frenzy overtake you. It's it's your call. Uh, yeah, I I think uh, William will fight the beast off. You know, right. using a world PowerPoint, and he's just just gonna run out. So yeah, you're gonna have yeah. to leave, like you know, the room. Yeah, Katal, you see, you know, Jonathan School there, and you see William come up to you, and you see him look, and you're expecting for a second, like William, to be like, "What the fuck?" Just like you feel at this moment, and you look just to your right to look at to, to expect to see William look at you and have the same feeling instead you see like the smile crack Williams over Williams face and you see like his fangs extend and you see like his eyes like the people start dilating and, and you know these signs right away and you see like his, his muscles in his face start growing taunt and then you're like oh shit this guy's about to lose it and then you see for a second where he closes his eyes and he just like turns around his bolts you know like speed walks runs out the door and just pushes the glass door open and just like goes into the parking lot as you're left alone by yourself right now and you still hear the sobbing like the like carla still has not noticed what is going on and i would say even like this would be a good opportunity for me to ask you because you saw carla at her worst in this very fucking place and then you saw carla against her will being forced to be like in love with someone and mm -hmm. and and now you see this like what's going on in your head right now oh my god this shit is out of control this this is not good this is this is why you don't give blood to people this is why you don't give blood to people do not do this ever do, do not ever do this to anyone do not ever do this to a person do not and so after it's just like as soon as he says he's like william run out he's like just breathe a little sigh of relief and then he's gonna like carla stop stop just stop what you're doing stop and, and as you like, you know, you walk around the bar. Are you trying to say over the bar? Or are you trying to walk behind the bar behind. and like, like stuff? Okay. As you walk behind, you just see her like her doing that. And you're like, stop, stop, Carla. And you just see a moment where like, she like stops and like puts down this bridal pad. And you look at the bridal pad and you just see like this crimson just is like all caked into like the green of the, like the steel wool bridal. You can't even see the green anymore. And you just see her look up to you and just see like, it looks like she has road rash all across her forehead. And she's like, this like it's not even like bleeding heavy because it's just like it's like that you know that road rash but you just see like her blood and tears are mixed and she's just sobbing and like her 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 freckles that she had on her face you can't make it out anymore she's just like <laughs> i can't get it off i can't get it off and she's like i can't get it off and you just see like tears are crawling down and there's a second where you're hit like with the understanding of what it is is the fact that she's trying to like scrub off on her forehead the I know that was written on her marker after you guys came upon her in there. And she's just like looking at you, like pleading at you, like she just can't get it off. And she's just, and, and, and there's a moment while you're just staring at there at her. What do you do? I'm just like, just give me the wool. Just give me the wool. I'm just take it away from her. And and you see this for a second, like, like you're like the calming voice. And maybe it was because there was a moment, you know, who knows? Maybe it was because that moment where you talked to her at the bar or maybe, instinctually she 
is starting to remember things and she remembers vaguely like you caring and being empathetic about what happened to her to where you see like gently like this offering that like like that like this offering she's given to you she she like with both hands hands you this brilo pad you know and just like and like gives it to you and is like pleading and you see her hands are shaking you know what i mean and you're starting to also realize that like this scene is the scene that you saw her in that bathroom you know, when you came upon her where she was just wearing a shirt and like her pants were gone, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. And she's in your, in, and it's almost like, I don't know. It's, I would assume it's almost like a sense of deja vu at this yeah. moment. All right. And just like, just like, just lead her away from the behind us. What happened? Just, can you tell me what happened? I, <laughs> she's like trying to, you know, breathe and, you know, she's shaking. You can feel her like quiver too, like under you. It's a really, Disheart and a d- disconcerting feeling, I guess. I don't know, but you just see her, you feel her quivering, and she's like, I can't, I can't, I, 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 "What did I do? Why did they do that to me? Why did they do that to me? Why did they?" Do-? I, I, you just are some are like able to piece together because Katal is a reasonably intelligent individual. You're able to like like she's trying to remember this shit. You're starting to get this feeling like like whatever Jonathan did to her isn't working anymore, or or that mind fuck shit that like creeped you the fuck out. Like, it's like, what's going on? She's not, you just, it's almost like her memories are coming back to her in a way, or what was scrubbed from her, you know? All right, all right, I, I see, yes. Don't worry, it's, it's not, it's it's over now. It's, you're, you're not, no one's gonna hurt you anymore, okay? You're safe here. I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I hate him. Why the fuck am I here? Why did I even take this fucking job? Why did I quit? What the fuck? And she's looking at you like, like, like she's like has this like sense of like she she needs answers and like she's just like finding herself in a situation where if she was thinking rationally she would never have been in this situation in the first place you know William as you're outside you like burst through the, this glass door and you're just like like the warm humidity just hits yeah. you like kind of like a warm wet towel for a second and you like close your eyes and you open them and you're looking at the gravel and you just feel the coolness on you what's what's going on with you right now. Well, William hates losing control, so, you know, he's very unhappy with, with how, how this went. He knows that he can't go there right now. So, uh, actually, probably what he's going to do is he's going to text Katow that he's going to, you know, meet with him later. And he's going to go feed on one of his herd. All right. When I, can I say when I get that text, I'm gonna text him back saying, "Make sure to check Chase's home. Check on them. Might check on the Thin Bloods. Just check, check." Right. Oh, hello again, folks. I'd like to tell you about the Facebook group we run called White Wolf and Onyx Path RPGs Gameplay and Media. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts? or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions, so that your media could give the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow. 
with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.